You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the final podcast that I recorded live at the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival uh, in the week just gone. This is Andy Kindler, an absolute force to be reckoned with in American comedy. He is in the unique position of being almost the voice of the comedy industry's conscience. He gets to be the comedian in the room full of comedians. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone who's ever been more appropriate uh, to the title of this show. Uh, we're going to refer in this show to the Hacks Handbook, and I'll give you a, a web address so you can find that. Someone is kindly hosting that online, uh, so I'll give you that in the, in the body of the show. Uh, that is really something to be enjoyed, so we'll get to that in just a moment. But this, the very last episode from the uh, the four that I've released in one great big week weekly chunk uh, from Montreal, this is the brilliant Andy Kinder. Let's get stuck in. Andy, thank you so much. We're here thank at the you. Montreal Just for Last Festival, where yesterday you performed your annual State of the Industry Address. And I'm, I'm on cloud nine now. I don't know why. <laughs> why do I open? Week opener. Cloud nine. Oh, Mr. Comedy opens with cloud nine. Yeah, I was, so, I was never more nerve-wracked, nervous than this uh, year. And it, I was just, it just went, couldn't, I mean, it could not, from my end, gone, have gone better. And, and, and what is it? Just describe the, what, the, what the state of the industry address is to people listening in the UK who maybe haven't, haven't heard of it. I mean, it's, it's, quite an, it's an incredibly unusual thing. It's, it's a, a truly unique... Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it definitely is because I've uh, been coming to... You know, it's always... My wife says, please don't tell everybody how old you are and exactly <laughs> and show a ticking clock on your stomach as you're marching towards death. But I first came to this uh, festival in 93, and I, I didn't come in 94, and I came back in 95, and I'd, done a, uh, I'd written an article for uh, National Lampoon called The Hacks Handbook, yes, which was like a how to be a hack comic. I'm familiar with it. It's a, we'll talk about it. It's incredible, and I'll direct people to it. But we'll, we'll, yeah. I want that to be its own section, so we'll come back to that because it's fantastic. Cool. And then, and, then I, and then in 95, that went well, and so then uh, Bruce Hills, the head of the festival, said, you know, why don't you try another speech? And then it was my manager who came up with Bruce Smith, who came up with the idea of state of the industry. And okay. it was just a perfect name. So we really, we just didn't know what it was going to be. We just like what has happened during the year. It's kind of stuck to the same format. And it was like the, and just became year after year. And now it's 19 years. And it's, it, it occupies, I think, a really valuable position because I think in an industry where we all like to convince ourselves that we're speaking truth to power, right. it's very easy for comedians to end up feeling like actually we're the powerful gang, we're the insiders. So yeah. to have one of us kind of turn a mirror on it and go, you're, you're the court jester at the court of jesters almost. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know. And it's, it's, and, and, and uh, in no way has it ever been a comfortable thing. It's always been a, it brings up all of my own issues as a person because it's like I have so many different, not so many different sides, two sides. <laughs> to me. But one side is like very, say, gets angry about things. And uh, so like, you know, currently I'm angry about the, the whole anti-Muslim thing. And so the anti and then and then that hopefully sparks comedy. And but then the other side of me is I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want people not to like me. I, you know, it's yeah. like, so so uh, I'm not 
I wish sometimes I could do it and and not care what happens. Yeah. But then maybe the fact that I care what happens molds the speech That's in a good way. Absolutely, part of it because you're. It, I mean, it's a very it's a very privileged position almost. It's a kind of um, it's a position of kind of power. Do you feel powerful doing it? I don't. Well, I think I would probably never think of the word powerful because I say one of my uh, targets are people who use power. Absolutely. So and then and I'm also short. So I would never think <laughs> I'm powerful, but it's more like a it's you know how you get that feeling when you're uh people are laughing and it's for the right reasons and yes. you just you feel that energy start to start to swirl around and and that's what like and that there was it was just one of these weeks where I couldn't have been I couldn't have asked for it to go better there was an article about me in the New York Times on Thursday okay and it was written by Jason Zinneman and one word that he used which I had known the word before but never really thought about was that he calls me an ombudsman Ah, yes, yes. And I felt okay. that that really, word really yes. does fit what I'm doing. You're the person that people can take their complaints about comedy to. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's great. So, you're kind of a monitor. You, you yeah. kind of monitor the situation and you're the one that can say, because I think we all know comedians who are happy to heckle other comedians. Right. And that always seems to be about trying to draw attention to them. Yes. But this is the, the very nature of your, your very specific persona and personality and relationship to the industry like someone like louis ck couldn't do the job that you're doing yeah but i also this the other part of it is that not that many comics want to do what i'm doing and it started for very personal reasons it started for um uh, uh i hate to say angry but whatever bitter uh you know the joke would be bitter yeah. or envious or jealous you know these emotions like why it's not so much to the level you know if you're a thinking person it's not like you really are stuck with the, why does he have it and I don't have it? Sure. But there is that part of it all. Absolutely. So it started with me, you know, uh, the Hacks Handbook started, but also when Leno got the job over Letterman and all those types of things, I started to slam these, but wasn't thinking about the ombudsman part of it. Yes. I never thought about it until Jason brought it up. But I would, those were like individual, and then I was always, uh, I, lo- I loved the idea of bad comedy and I liked making fun of it. Yes. And, and do you, I mean, there's almost, is there a kind of a code within comedy that we don't make fun of each other? That's the code that, uh, and, you know, and I, and, and the, you know, I've always, without naming names because there's no reason why I need to get other people more upset, but when it's been really bad over the years, it's been when comedians have turned on me, not the ones I'm talking about, sure, but the ones who are upset that I'm talking about. Other yes. people, because it, because what in their mind you've sort of broken the code. That's you, what they you, really, they literally believe it that way. But my argument was always, oh, so you can do a million jokes about Michael Jackson, or you can do a million jokes about this, but other popular culture figures are off limits because they're comedians, and the, it seemed hypocritical to me. Yes, the, the other side of it that's always been accepted has been the roast side of it. Yes, which is how. And that almost always does come from, you know, like uh, the cliche would be, we, they love each other, so in the good old roast days, before they started roasting like Justin Bieber and stuff like that. Yes. But in the old Friars roast, they did know each other, and so there was this permission to go cr- to go nuts. Yes. But it wasn't, that's not wh- quite what I'm, it's not what I'm doing. No. Sometimes it is. Yes, okay, there's, lo- there's lots of different elements to it. Yeah. Um, I suppose you're, um, do you... Are you are you angry with the idea of... And you've mentioned anger a few times and we're only five minutes in, Andy. Yeah, there's certainly, that's definitely a part of it. Um, but do you think that comedians should be special? Do you think that comedians 
should regard themselves as special? Because I think a lot of us do. A lot of us are like, oh, it's almost like because we've paid the price of I was scared and I got on stage anyway. Yes. People yeah. sort of feel like, oh, now that I've, I've paid my, 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 my fear price. So now I'm one of the guys that's allowed to say anything. And I, I find myself thinking, no, you're, you're just another person who, who kind of could be bothered to get on stage. Yeah, that's Do you know what true. I mean? That's it doesn't, yeah, I mean, in some ways, comedy is sacred, and in other ways, it really isn't. Right, and the, well, the thing is, I think the thing that you're bringing up is that, you know, if you call comedy an art form, then people are going to be like, you always feel weird about doing it. Yeah. But that's more, I think, a convention of how we tend to uh, look at life Philosophically, and I don't want to call myself a guru, but I'm really into like, you know, I've always been into Eastern philosophy type things when I was younger, especially. And that, that whole thing, like Zen Buddhism, the whole thing is that everything is an art form. And that's how I kind of believe every single thing can be an art form. So comedy should be an art form. Art is an art form. You know, painting is an art form. And so when you approach it that way, then everything is sacred but the problem is is that if you go too far uh, on the sacred thing then you then you start to feel like you're i don't want to be the guy who's giving the word or yes <laughs> the messiah of yes comedy. okay so i'm let- sorry I, i'm less articulate than i claim no that's quite all right <laughs> yeah i think you're fairly articulate um so fairly i, I will go with that <laughs> How how did it go? How did yesterday's state of the industry address go compared to previous ones? Are you do you feel like do you feel like you nailed it? Do you feel like you're you know what you're doing now? Uh, well, that is, there's two issues. I nailed it. I absolutely, and I'm of course. I will always say I'm the first person to know when I bombed. Not only was the first person to know when they I bombed, but the first person to think they're bombing when they're maybe not bombing that well. Yeah, much because I've seen it with other comics. We in general we have a tendency to over. I do, and some other comics over-exaggerate how poorly we're doing. Yes. You know? Yes. And to me, it became part of a shtick. But sometimes, like, say, if, like, someone's strength is their weakness, there may be a night you see me where, all right, now you've said something terrible about yourself after every after every joke. You know, back it off a little bit. But So I know when I've done uh, badly. But the other part of it is there's no way it's like, uh, and this is also, like, I think a philosophical thing is, if I told you tomorrow every set you did on stage, you will always kill for the rest of your life, I'm, you would sound good, but it's not really yeah, kind of, right. it's, it's yeah, like you need okay. those down. So It's like I, winning the lottery, sort of. It's like, yeah, if you like want, we love the idea of it, but actually it would just take away all the all the triumph. Right. Ex- yeah. You know, although I'm still willing to give it a shot <laughs> to the lottery. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. But, uh, so, there's no way, if I said to you, I've got it wired now, yes. that would be incorrect. But that being said, I do know the technique. The technique from doing it for 19 years has yes. helped me. So yes, it understand. helped me lay the foundation for yesterday because I know if I get too much into reading quotes, if I get too much you know, into minutia. Sure. And so I was able to pull out of things. Like, okay, I'm not going to read eight pages of Adam Sandler's yes, thing. Yes. And then it was one of these things where it all just came together yesterday. And it was such pure joy. Because this year was the worst year. I mean, I hate to keep harping on it. I sound like someone who's uh, won't let it go. But my dad died in January. I talked about it in the speech yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like threw my whole year even to more of a tizzy than it mm-hmm. normally would be. You know, it was uh, like just – and people told me about this, that you mourn in weird ways. And so I was mourning like by getting angry all the time. Yeah. And specifically, I have a lot of problems focusing in life. And that hit me so hard. So I did not finish a speech till 9 o'clock in the morning. Really? Yeah. That morning? I, oh, my I, God. I, I, I printed it out. And my wife was just great because, I mean, someone has to stop me. She goes, go, you have to go to sleep. It's it. It's over. 
And so I did. So like even that thing that I printed out, which is the final thing, if I go back over that, I'm sure there's like, it's not like written like good from good afternoon all the way through. Sure. And um, I still have so many organizational things to learn. But the other problem of it is, you just don't. In the old days, when I first started the speech, it was I could every year do a certain structure that would work because everybody was familiar with the sitcoms that were coming out. Yes, okay. so it was like the, the festival would meet. The, the festival was much cheesier back then. Okay, and, and so we've still got the we've retained the music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, so, that, that, well, actually, that cheesy little uh, well, Montreal this, riff. This didn't happen in the street to me. That's like like you have you walked down the street and seen crazy things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the place for it. Yeah. You're like, yeah. what my problem was in the 90s was these kind of acts were in comedy clubs. Yes, ruining. I see. <laughs> so this is actually delightful to me, yes. those, those crazy big heads that are good. Sure. So, uh, but, 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 so, but in the old days, everyone came here for a sitcom deal. And, yeah. and, and because I wrote the Hack Handbook, the 90s were a bad time in, for comedy, except for when friends of mine we all started the alternative movement yes and that and uh you know that's changed everything because uh, a lot of monologists got squeezed out but the festival was still very mainstream a lot of who got squeezed out a lot of just what you would call monologists what does that mean i mean like just i love people, it what does it mean uh, i mean it's like people aren't uh, juggling or uh it's just them and their words oh i see oh, so, mono- as in a mono- monologist i understand sorry it was an accent thing as well, people, oh, who do, an people who do monologues <laughs> i thought i was like well they don't know this word over there <laughs> i'm so you sorry you know how the english don't I have thought a, it was i thought you were saying monologist so i would consider yeah, this monologist. Is small, it's a small <laughs> yeah. I see. So, so they were getting squeezed out because of the variety style acts in the clubs, right? Because the and because there were more clubs than you could sustain good acts, and so the terrible acts were in clubs because people club owners didn't know what they were booking in those yes. days, okay. and it was just like, oh, this guy's crowd pleasing. Sure. So everybody, and there were also uh, really, really like uh, more of the heads of the networks came then. Yes. So. Uh, I could make fun of these people, and they kind of enjoyed that. That's less happening now, okay. Because the the and it's a good thing ultimately because now the festival, to me, is actually celebrating having fun and that kind of thing as opposed yes. to being looking for for a deal. But there's less things that everyone's aware of now. I understand. There's far more channels. There's mm-hmm. low people lower down in the food chain coming to the event, sort of production wise, and. Also, yeah, there's so many more shows. You can't guarantee that everyone's seen the same thing. Even in the old days, yeah. I would even when everyone was aware of it, if I got too much into, like I'd watch these shows and something would make me laugh and I would quote the dialogue from it. Yes. And sometimes that worked. Yes. But when I went too far, I used to in the old days get Variety and Hollywood Reporter. I would read it every day and I'd come up and then that became a diminishing returns because, first of all, it worked maybe one year but then it didn't work another year. So even when you're talking about even in those days, people st- were still didn't know everything I was talking about. But now, forget. I just talked about. I think one sitcom was the comedians yesterday. Yes. yes. So, and then that was more like about Billy Crystal. But there's a whole bunch of other things I could have brought in. I just decided not to. And how much of the when you when you are individually riffing about Billy Crystal or Seinfeld or whatever the things are that you're presenting as things that have angered you? How much if, is that? completely a real anger and how much of it is a, a little tiny bit of anger that you have contrived that you've whipped up for kind of comic effect i think uh i i would like to say that i wouldn't it's not contrived that the only time that it's maybe contrived is as a joke yes. like i'm not really that mad at this sure. thing and that's why the years that there's been 
a lot of, say, quote, controversy or like I said yesterday when I talked about Anthony Camille and I had yeah. to hide in the bunker. That was really uncomfortable because that was like uh, I was not just talking about ultimately I, I, I kind of do this. If you said, do you despise Leno? I think I kind of do despise Leno, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I'm not worried about him punching me out, and I'm not worried about him, uh, uh, like, committing genocide. (laughs) You know what I mean? So this is Andy. What an incredibly lovely man, and what a... Oh, God, he's so... You must, you absolutely must watch his act. Anyone with an ounce of appreciation for comedy will just love how unformulaic it is the they'll love the 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 persona the performance of it the fact that he's constantly railing against the audience for not understanding it you get to see absolutely a performer completely live in the moment of the performance it couldn't be further from him reading out a script it really couldn't it's it's so so good so have a little look on google for that if you can have a look on youtube um also here's a link i'll tell you a link for the um for the uh, the Hacks Handbook, it's Nathan Smart has kindly hosted it. He's a, I don't know who Nathan is. He appears to be a, a graphic designer, but he's hosting it. And so the web address you want is nathansmart.com forward slash akhh.pdf, as in Andy Kindler Hacks Handbook. nathansmart.com forward slash akhh.pdf. It's only three pages, so it's not like you're... Um, I don't think you can actually buy it for real. So I don't, I don't think we're ripping Andy off by directing you there. Have a look at that. You won't regret it. And it's astonishing to think he wrote it in the early 90s. I think in 1991, he wrote it for National Lampoon. Um, and you will see for yourself just how many of those comedy formulae and structures and tricks are being used today. Uh, listen, if you spot something in there that you do, you don't need to kill yourself. But just be aware that, you know, maybe... Um, I mean, I, I haven't looked at it in too much detail and probably... That's uh, from fear that uh, something I do will be in there. But it's absolutely worth checking out. It's very, very amusingly written as well. It's not just him kind of... I've taken down now. I've taken down the new hack site that we used to have at ComediansComedian.com because it started to get a bit personal. And I I, I felt we drifted from the original point of it, which is sort of a tongue-in-cheek look at uh, all the daft stuff um, that we can routinely all the traps we can fall into if you like it started to get a little bit personal this isn't personal and come on it's from 20 30 years ago anyway um, but really really good fun to uh, to see a bit of a swipe at comedy and loads of andy's uh, state of the industry addresses are available on so that's um that's andy kendler another half of the interview coming up short um, I just wanted to take a moment to say, as ever, thank you so much for all your donations. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the show, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com, where you can also click on the individual episodes and get taken to the individual page for that episode and continue the discussion on Facebook underneath it. Uh, or you can join the Facebook group. Uh, if you search Facebook for the Comedians Comedian podcast, you can join a group. We've got about 2,500 people on that now. And that's the sort of place where I try ideas out on you and get votes on merch ideas and give you extra little tidbits and... Uh, secret content occasionally, things like that, uh, photos and what have you. Um, so you can join that. You can follow me uh, at ComComPod on Twitter, or you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com. But if you do enjoy the show, if it makes a difference to your life, to your working practice, if it makes a difference to your day as you're reclining in the bath, marathon training, or walking one of your many, many animals, um, then please support the show. Uh, you can click on the PayPal button, or you can support us via Patreon. There's a link there on the donate section of the website, uh, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash comcompod. Uh, you need to register with Patreon first. If that's a thing you're into, then you're a very bleeding edge 
web savvy uh, internet kid in a way that I'm not. Um, but that's that's the the current structure we've got for subscription payments. I'm looking to that more after Edinburgh. Um, but you can make a one-off donation of five, ten, twenty pounds, or whatever you think is appropriate. Fifty p a show, a couple of bucks a show, whatever you like. Uh, you can donate that via PayPal by following that link, and I will be enormously grateful. Your donations make all the difference, and they really help me to keep this show. Uh, to keep it moving, really, to use all the time researching and prepping for it, uh, to pay the people that help me out with graphics and internet and music and to pay for the hosting and all that kind of stuff, to buy decent equipment so it sounds good, uh, and to uh, basically help me put as much, sink as much of my time into this project as uh, as I do. Um, so that's how that works. If you're enjoying it, feel free to donate at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed these episodes from Montreal. I certainly have. Let's get on with the final section of this final one before we go back to a slightly more normal week next week. Now, now back to Andy Kendler. Let's talk about the origins of you as a stand-up. How how long had you been doing stand-up before you wrote the Hacks Handbook? Well, I started in '84. And, uh, and, uh, stop to that. Brian Persane's walking by and he's giving me the face. Hello, Brian Persane. <laughs> I mean, that really was a perfect moment for him to walk past. And, and that, and that is the roast, what he just did, that yeah. is the roast part of yes, yeah, I don't know if that will uh, show up on the tape, but uh, Brian no, but walked he past walked, and he did an impression of you going, I started in 84. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the part of like, because I've often like I'm friends. I always say because I love Zach Galifianakis, so I, it always sounds like I'm name dropping. But like I make fun of Zach Galifianakis. I make fun of him when we're together because we really love each other. But I'll yes. call him the poor, the thinking man's poorly sure. <laughs> and I, I'll say, uh, would you say your career is more cashing out, cashing in, or selling out? How would you? <laughs> and then and then he'll viciously attack me, but it's all really from love because he because yes. Adam because one of the things I've talked about was Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler and 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 one t- Zach because Zach got in trouble years ago for saying something about Adam Sandler and he's like well, well we make fun of each other Zach said to me say yeah but Zach we know we we really like each other so it's not it's we wouldn't get upset whereas he knows that we're making statements that we really believe yeah you know okay. so I started in '84 <laughs> and uh, I. Uh, uh, I was in a duo. I went on my own in 86. I started to go on the road in 87, and I wrote the Hacks Handbook in 91. Okay, so, so you've had a good lot of experience of those sorts of things. Yes. Now, there is uh, regular listeners to this show will know that on the old website, I think we've taken it down now, but we did for a while, we crowdsourced a thing called New Hack, which was trying to identify contemporary tropes of stand-up hacking. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, and it, sorry, it really made me laugh when I saw the Hacks Handbook, because the, the formulae that you describe in that handbook are as used and as relevant today as they were in 1991. There's so many things, like, you know, the, the, the ethnicity sort of jokes where they go, it's thing X plus yeah, thing I'm Y, which means that half, I... Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So those are all absolutely still there. We were identifying things like, I, I don't know if this... I, I don't know if I read all of the handbook, but um, I, I noticed someone last night, in fact, who shall remain nameless, um, doing a deliberately bad mime and then stepping out of it and going, I don't know what this is. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. So I was on the phone, looked at hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that? this is. Yeah. What's that supposed to be? You know what I mean? There, there's so many, so many of those things. It's sort of fun to identify them. And it's kind of fun to, to kind of, it, it's a nervous, giggly kind of fun as a comic because you go, oh God, do I do any of those? Have yeah. any of those slipped through them? So what, what are your, which hack makes you, which um, hack 
uh, formula makes you grind the t- grind your teeth the most? Well, I've for a long time talked about which I don't, which is not in the handbook, but there's a variety of things like um, like you just said. You, what you just said, I would call the plan mistake, mm-hmm. like uh, fake I, mistakes. We call them in the yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I went out, you know, it was really, really cold, so I came in, I put my coat on a hooker. Did I say hooker? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, if I sure. did say hooker, I have eight minutes prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like I used to do the comic who the joke just occurred to them. Oh, 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 here's another bit I've been doing for 15 years yeah. that I'm going to make. <laughs> or the comic whose own material cracks him up. I, I can't help it, folks. Oh, I've seen but a lot this of that. material just <laughs> And that trick that you're saying is like, uh, it's so interesting because it comes from something really great when it first started. Yes. Say Letterman, Carson, all these people deconstructing their own comedy. And then when it becomes hack, it's almost... Scary because you're using something that was clever, and now you're like yes. turning it into yes, a. Yes, and there's a weird sense, I suppose, in the life of a young comic. You see, if you as soon as you see two or three people doing the same formula, I think part of you almost legitimately thinks, "Oh, this is what we do. This is how it's done." Yeah, you know I mean, and almost that sense, that that sentiment of this is how it's done. That's the opposite of creativity, isn't it? That's the enemy of yeah. creating anything new. That's not what the people who first came up with that were thinking. Right, but now there's there's always two issues because the first issue is. Is it just youth? And sometimes it could be just youth where you learn it. Like for me, I, I, I didn't do like, t- I didn't think of like, oh, that guy's saying something like, are you performing, get your feet off the set. I never did like stack, stock sure. lines or anything. But what I did think was the audience knew what they were, the audience was right when I first started. It took me a few years to realize the audience is not always right. And many times, depending on the circuit you're on, they're always wrong. Tell me more about that. That's fascinating. Well, in other words, like, but more... See, because I, a lot of things are different. It's like when you were saying that you still see that uh, some of those same things yeah. happening, I don't see that as much happening. Like right now, I think, is a real uh, renaissance in comedy where uh, there's more different comedy than there's ever been. It's like here there is. I don't know what it's like yeah, in the UK. Yes. Yes, yes. So you, there's less of those uh, tropes and there's, but there's different tropes. So there, like and some, then there are tropes of alternative, alternative, yes, alternative I mean. comedy. Yeah. Right. So like uh, for a while, everybody was saying retard for some reason, which okay. I never really quite. It was almost like they were saying, uh, "Yeah, I say it." Okay, you know, and uh, uh, and then a, a lot of it, uh, well, I, a lot of it was like homeless people. Yes, were uh, would would be this butt of jokes. All of a sudden, everyone is like, "That's an easy group to make fun of." Yes, because it almost like we're so used to the idea that you don't make fun of them that now there's a frisson of yes. something else works in the joke of like, yeah, yeah, I said it. Or my big pet peeve is fat jokes. Okay. You know, it's like uh, like Letterman, who's like in many ways my hero. He happens to do fat jokes, but it's like I can't expect every comic you know that I love to have the same. But to him, I don't think he ever thought about it other than the just the comedy part of it. You know, it comes from some part of... But for other people, I think it's like when they're actually consciously thinking of it, it's the type of comedy where I'm constantly looking for the group I can bash. Yes. And so then it may be unconscious completely, but it becomes like one of the things with the Seinfeld thing is he doesn't want to accept that 10 years from now, you're just not going to be able to do jokes about how uh, swishy guys are. You know what I mean? It's like, now that doesn't mean you can't joke about whatever, but you can't just be the gay French king. It's not going to be... Yes, he, just, just, sensing, a con- just a bit of context for people in the audience who are listening to this who might not understand the gay French king reference. Yeah. That's, that was a specific joke that Seinfeld told that's about the, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, go well, in your words, you explained. Yeah, well, but basically, what he was one of the things that triggered his whole tirade, which was that things are too PC. Uh, well, one of them was that he said they were asking about colleges, but he hadn't played colleges, but he heard they're bad. And the other one was that he had done this joke. And you saw it because he talked about it on more than one show where it was like, and you ever, you ever see these people who are operating their iPhone and they're like a gay French king mm. and they're like very flourishy, you know, mm-hmm. what would normally be gay, you know, mm. well, 10 years ago, I go, what are they gay? Like a gay man? Sure. Right. And so because the audience, first of all, I don't think it's a, a genius joke, No. Okay. Uh, but, but also it's not the worst thing in the world that anybody ever said, but because they didn't howl at it, he's used to killing. Yes. It triggered this tirade for him. Yes. Uh, the audience, the more you watch comedy, the only thing you gain by watching comedy, the reason why comedy, I think, is like you have to watch it more and more and more to to get it more. It's not yeah. because it's some weird code you know, language that you have to learn, but you, uh, when you first start, you don't know things are conventions. Mm-hmm. So the audience doesn't know they're conventions. Okay. And it's those conventions that the comic can be playing on knows he'll get a laugh doing that and so when i started very homogenized crowds yes okay. so so these crowds like i could get them laughing with sexual material but a lot in a lot of ways that still hasn't changed as much that still dick chokes have for all these years are kind of an easy way to get a laugh <laughs> yes absolutely and unless you're one of these really great dick joke comics you know, like like people were very blue and hilarious you are i you have that would be like oh this gets a laugh I'll keep it in. And that's what I didn't know when I first started, that why they were getting laughs. Gotcha. Okay, so part of part of that journey for you then was in... I hate the term journey, but part <laughs> of that, that, that realisation for you was that just doing stuff that gets a laugh isn't necessarily enough. It, 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 it definitely, definitely is not enough. And in fact, I'll never forget this early on. I was like five years in, and I was talking to a comic last night who's like seven years in, and the comic was telling me that they still feel like... Sometimes they feel terrible on stage, and this is a comic who's felt great. And I said, you know what? That's a good sign. That means that you're restless, that you're you're questioning what you're doing. And I went through that whole period where I just didn't. I was so I just felt uncomfortable and weird. The comics who don't are the ones you have to worry about. Yes, because they'll be not thinking about that. Why they don't think about why? Not that you should every second go. Why did that go? Sure. So, in the in we were talking about your um, your own development as a comic. Were you doing when you started the sorts of things that you were doing now? You mentioned your shtick earlier on. Um, I, I got a sense of what that is for people listening in the UK who are maybe less familiar with it. How would you describe what you meant by your shtick there? Um, early shtick or uh... Uh, I mean, well, what, what I'm getting at is, I think on stage you have you play this. The game you're playing is. I'm a terrible comedian. This yes. isn't working. Hey, everyone, these are jokes. Even though they're laughing, you accuse them of not laughing. And right. You, you, that you started mean? at the beginning. That okay, started, that's uh, from the off. Okay. I, 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 the very first, I was in a duo for a couple of years, which kind of, um, uh, what's the word? It, uh, it's less painful. It kind of, you both, it cushions you. Yes. From the pain. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're both could cry together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I went on my own, my whole thing was uh, the very first joke I told my first solo show, whatever, and the joke didn't work. I said, well, that didn't go very well. Mm. So that's, and so that really has never changed. It's just the degree to which I've become sophisticated about 
saying how things aren't going well. Yes, and on on some occasions, jokes flop, and you say that didn't go very well, and other times things go quite well, and you go that didn't go very yeah, well. Yeah, well, that's and that's, it, I that, think that's the, kind uh, of the richness. That you've yes, developed. and also just the general not being able to hear the you know hear the laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Something that struck me about I saw you doing uh, the alternative Andy Kindler alternative show right. uh, the uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh, a joke that stood out for me was you were doing impressions and you were then just saying a thing and then saying uh, that's an impression of a guy who thinks the thing you've just said. Just in yeah. that, that format. <laughs> I just think, it, I suppose what really tickled me about it was, it, particularly given in mind that idea of the Hacks Handbook, of identifying the, the, the formulae, the formula um, yeah. of various jokes, that your jokes, you're, you're kind of constantly trying to write jokes that don't fit into any formula. I think you so, were, yeah. At one point you said, uh, you said, uh, oh, that Ashton Kutcher, he's really good at playing Steve Apples. That's a guy who thinks that Steve Jobs' real name is Steve Apples. Yeah. I, I laughed for about five <laughs> minutes because it, that doesn't fit into any, that's, what is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, it's interesting you said it because it's, it, 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 it's, uh, you know how like, uh, we know this in general, like from sports or whatever, that what could be someone's, Say someone is an unconventional pitcher or whatever, they, and they they're not they don't have incredible form, but they found a way to make it work, and that's what I kind of think. It's like there were comedian. I have a comedian friend. His name is Josh Weinstein, and I have a joke where I say, uh, you know, it's a DJ in the seventies, and he has the rhythm of a comedian, but no laugh. So it's like that was Aerosmith. Dude looks like a lady. Watch out, fellas. There's a dude walking around has some kind of a dress up. <laughs> hey, that was Aerosmith's Janie. Janie's got a gun. Watch out, everybody. Janie's walking around with some kind of a firearm. <laughs> and my friend Josh pointed out to me that I'm the only comedian who would not change the group for the second joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's an incredible and, and that's the thing with that Steve Apples thing. Other comedians would have developed... Ways to say yes. to Steve. I just basically have to say that's a guy who thinks Steve Jobs is Steve but that's, Apples. But that's the decision you've made. That's yes. what makes you so intrinsic to you. It's you are aware that most comedians would change the group and yes. you choose not to change the group. And you might present it as if, oh, I, I wouldn't think to change the group. Yeah. But clearly the reality is you know what you're doing. You're not, playing with that, without... not, not with that example. No, really? No, I had no idea. <laughs> I thought, oh, I, I just... It, it, that's how ingrained it is for me not to think of the... To not, uh, not to have that part of me, which oh, because goes... because you're so unformulaic. Actually, yeah, some formulas th- are good, but you don't think in those terms. <laughs> That's exactly right. So in that case, it was he, he was making a really funny okay. point. Andy Kindler, he doesn't understand the rule of three. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's a, and so that's the thing with uh, with all of these deals. Is I think I was also doing a thing, here's a guy who's looking for his wallet, maybe? Yes, that yeah, that? yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the type of thing where I used to always uh, chap or... What is it when you chap... Uh, you sh- you know, like the spurs, or you get upset or something. I don't know. But I always look. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Chafe. Yeah. Chafe for the idea that I don't write jokes. Yes. Because I write jokes. But those jokes, like that joke, you could not, would not work on paper. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but, and, and I think that's absolutely part of its power, isn't it? Because I, people I, that I interview and in my own sort of practice, other comics I meet, a lot of people say you need to make sure that your stuff couldn't be done by someone else. Right. And your stuff is absolutely, I mean, absolutely 100%. No one would want to do it. Well, no one, well, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to say that, <laughs> but I could see that was going to be the next sentence out of your mouth. Well, for, to a certain extent, I think it's true about all of our great, favorite. It's like, what's the difference between Mitch Hedberg and Stephen Wright? There's a similar style. But if you read them on paper, you'd laugh at both of their jokes. But you still wouldn't get the full you don't, feel you wouldn't until get you hear what them. They are. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. When you hear Mitch Hedberg, it's like, yeah, he's in the same kind of field as same kind of area. Stephen Wright couldn't be more different, you know. So uh, what, is, what does it look like when you write? Are you keeping notes? I mean, and we're talking about sort of thirty years plus of, of career here, right? But when you started out, then were you? Uh, keeping notes? Were you sitting writing, typing, or were you just taking ideas on stage and improvising? What was your... your I never... Well, one thing I never did, which was like, I think a lot of times people in life, they don't know what they're... One thing I never did is be funny. (laughs) 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 I hope all of that... I, I, that's audible. That was another uh, uh, drive-by heckle yeah, there from he Brian Posehn. <laughs> uh, what I forgot what the question. Uh, oh yeah, so how you how you were writing in the early days compared to how oh. you're writing now? Well, one thing is is like I don't think people sometimes realize what their strength is in life, and that's what was true with, with me because I wanted to be a musician, and I, not that I still am proud of the things I was writing, but comedy came much easier for me, mm-hmm. and uh, because everybody in my family was funny. So when if comedy comes easy, I'm not saying like it's easy, but it's ingrained then you don't have to think i never think what the structure of a joke is i naturally you know if most i think most comedians are this way they just know the joke so they yes. don't have to go back and analyze it so uh when i first started it was just like when whenever i did and whenever ideas would come up one thing i think i did that i'm very proud of is that i never threw jokes away that didn't work the first time or i never didn't write something down that I thought was funny, which I think a lot of comics do. They go, oh, that's funny, but it won't fit in my act. Okay. So You collect everything. You, you would hoard everything. A, anything I thought was funny in the moment, I wrote mm. down. Because I'm, I never get up in the morning and write. Mm. Or it's always related to the world. And so I, the, the notes I collect are just ideas that I would write down. And that I've done the same way since I was started. And what... What was the first joke you remember writing that you were totally happy with, that you went, that's like the first bit of gold dust joke that you wrote? Uh, well, you know, it's so funny because the, I don't think they were necessarily uh, genius jokes, but I, they made me laugh like, uh, just like I wrote something about how, like it was Denny's comment card and it said was the outside of, you know was the outside of our building and was the outside of our building attractive and appealing mm. and i said yeah, yeah it drew me in like a fucking magnet you know it was like <laughs> things like that and it was always funny because i remember I, I never used to curse really just because i i knew i would want to be on tv or something yeah and so i said well how can but that joke never worked without me saying it drew me in like a, a fucking magnet so <laughs> there were there were things of, of that level but uh, i can't remember the first one that was like oh oh this is the one that 
but I do remember looking at these old tapes. There's a club called Rascals Comedy Hour, and they took all and we signed a release. It wasn't like they t- and they turned them in and they are online right now. So yes, I, I see- think I've seen them. There's, I think you're doing a routine about um, uh, about making an appointment to get your ass kicked at school. Like right, someone so the- like meet me after school. And that might be one. That that's like one of the first bits that worked that was b- based on a real thing. Okay. Me, my fear. So that probably might be an example where, you know, oh. I'm not going somewhere else to get my ass kicked. I'm going to, uh, oh, let me make it a point. Oh, I'm getting my face punched in a two, you know, make it 250. But the joke I just heard that I forgot I did was I said, Jewish people, we're obsessed with Hitler because we can't remember the Pharaoh. <laughs> and I was looking back at like, and I was like really proud of myself. I thought, I thought nothing I did at that point was that funny. Yes. And I look back and went, oh, okay. It was, yeah. And that was pretty early on. So, so what was your, um, the persona that you have on stage and the man that you are off stage, what are the differences between those? Because it's, well, no, in fact, I'll, I'll ask that part of the question first. Well, I would like to say there is no difference except that I know when I'm on stage, I my job is to, to try to make you laugh. <laughs> Whereas off stage, I probably am the same way. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll take breaks. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> so that would be the only difference. So do, I, you, do you keep this up, this kind of level of... I think Whatever, so. Whatever this level of kindling, that, that, that's, that's absolutely twenty four seven. I can believe it. It is, and, and sometimes not for the right. You know, sometimes it's much to everyone's detriment because I have a little bit of like uh, what I used to call until he passed away. I used to call it Robin Williams syndrome. Yes, okay. where you you, you can't you, stop and let anybody else get a word in, and I really have to watch that because it's a it's not right. <laughs> so where do you think it comes from? Uh. The wanting to be, well, wanting to be loved, that kind of thing. Yeah, I yeah, think, I think so, that's yeah. what it is. Like, it's that sense of being always on. That's what people, right. you know, there's nothing more annoying than a comic who's always on, who's like riffing in the dressing room as everyone else is like, all right, mate. Right, and so what I would say about myself is I may most, 98% of the time, it's, it, that's what I honestly would joke about. Like, so it's not like I'm creating a on character. Sure. It's just how much I'm doing it. Yes. You know, can okay. you relax for one sec? And what is it? What is it you think? I mean, it's, you said you come from a funny family. Yes. Do they have a similar quality of just being constantly funny all the time? I, I always point to this one example of my dad, but it's such a perfect example where he's the he was you know, he, he's the funniest man I, I ever knew because, and like one time I brought home about ten years ago, I brought home this you know, like a homeopathic thing came, natural medicine thing came to the house. I'm reading it to him, and he goes, uh, you know, and we use these supplements, and we never use a medical jargon to confuse you. And my dad says, they don't know any medical jargon. <laughs> and so that's the, way, that's the way he was all day long. And that's what I grew up in, that kind of environment. So that's interesting, because I, I think... I think from the from the outside, for someone who is always who has a constant, like it's almost like you you float around on a little cloud of jokes. Do you know what I mean? That's how you see. When I met you today, you were like blah blah blah. There's been sort of yes. six seven jokes as we walked through the office. And that is none of that is negative to me. Yes, it's all degree. It's yes. all if I'm not feeling good. If I'm feeling like really, because my whole problem in life, it's so simple, is this feeling that. Uh, whatever it is in the moment, I'm going to be abandoned or something bad will happen to me if people don't all like me, right? That's the problem with it. It's not the joke I go for or my natural inclination. That's all the greatest that I approach life like my dad did. I think it, that's the most spiritual thing I can do. And that's what I think, you know, Lenny Bruce used to say that about, and I used to be about Jews and blacks, why they're funny because they learn to entertain their way out of oppression. 
You know, okay, yes. uh, Jew, you're charming. Oh, Jew, very charming. Put down your, uh, you know, mm-hmm. put down the shovel like the, the mm-hmm. slave master. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, black man. Oh, you, what a nice voice. Put down your hoe and. Yeah. So it's like part of what we learned as a, but the, the deeper part of that is is the reaction to terrible things, and how comedy informs that and is kind of the answer. The ability to laugh, I really do think, is the most. I can't think of anything more spiritual. If you ever see the Dalai Lama? Once there was the Dalai Lama, they were being interviewed, and Richard Gere was like, I'll never forget this. It was a stuttering, remember Stuttering John? I uh, don't remember that. Okay, no. Stuttering, I don't usually say Stuttering John. It was a Howard Stern character. Okay, gotcha. And he would go to news conferences, and he would ask questions to ruin things. <laughs> okay, so he yeah. said to him, the Dalai Lama, he goes, did, any, did ever, anybody say hello, Dolly, to you? And so the Dalai Lama was like, ha, ah! ha. And Richard goes like you, and he claims to be a Buddhist. Richard, yeah, Gere. right. Then, <laughs> so that's the thing. Is like the thing the Dalai Lama has is the thing that the spirituality we all need. of laughing. Yes. the Zen of the Zen of laughing. That's very attractive. That's a very appealing idea to think. I, I think I subscribe to that. That it's almost like one of the only actually genuinely pure things in the world and universal too. Yes, the really maybe there's an exception to the rule, like in certain one one uh, country exactly the opposite of what we think is funny. It's funny. <laughs> but in general, once you get past the language with people, they're all kind of sharing the same uh, view of what makes them funny. You know? Yes. And what's the... Speaking, you mentioned briefly the, the, the abandonment, the fear of people uh, leaving you or being alone or not liking you. I think that's very common to... Well, it's common to everyone, not just comedians. But... Um, I suppose I, I experience that myself, definitely. And those are the times when, when I notice that I'm doing that in a party, in a social situation. If I notice I'm grandstanding, if I'm yeah. holding court, I do sometimes try and stop and go, why, why am I doing this? It's definitely fun. But also, and, and not just my fiancé, but partners throughout the years have tried to point out to me, look, it's not necessarily great for everyone else when you're doing that. Because yes. you might be really hilarious... And then afterwards, you walk away, and you don't really know anything about the people you were impressing, and they don't really right. know anything about you apart from the fact you like the sound of your own voice. I think you're right. I think, and that's exactly right. And it's like uh, that's what happens. That's that's what happens. And it's always from. It's like the, it's like if I'm worried that Adam Sandler's going to punch me in the face from the things I say, that's not has nothing to do with should I say it or is it right to say it. It's all the stuff that keeps people from saying things yes you know that's not what everybody goes through they don't have to their thing is that I have to tell Adam Sandler uh, he's a hack or whatever but but whatever in their life that they're not doing because they're scared it's a natural part of it and just becoming aware of it that really helps because yes because you're probably the other side of it is you don't want to be always thinking oh my god am I going too far now yep but for me it's almost like have you ever met these people, and I could be one of these people who won't fucking stop talking? They, I'm, uh, I don't know if I could curse, sorry about that. Oh, uh, you can, uh, it's fine. Uh, they, would, they, uh, they won't. I mean, they have it to a degree that you can't believe it. Like, every, like one out of a hundred people. Yes, absolutely. And I you think literally Every can't. British comedian listening to this will be thinking of the same person. <laughs> there is a particular... Uh, Ricky Gervais? Uh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, he's just the most disliked man. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> for general... He's very quiet. We don't like him. Uh, but... Uh, it, it, then you almost feel like bad for someone like that, but it's very hard to be around them because you can never get anything in. Yes, and so 
I'm with you, 100%. So, just coming back to the, the writing, when you write with or for, do you write for other people? Have you done that in the past? I've done, yeah, I have done gigs like that. Like, uh, about, even like six months ago, Ben Stiller had Neither Museum 3, and uh, he was promoting it, uh, like, with these like overseas distributors okay so i wrote some lines for that okay and, uh, and over the years i have written for other people but not for a long time and how does that process differ when you're writing for or with someone else it's just to an the amazing way you exercise i think it's just anything it's like uh, you know they, they always say like some people say you can make great art with, even with amazing constraints mm-hmm. so the idea of having constraints yes can be good you've got to come up with 100 museum jokes yes say, yeah something like that but I do. I did see your. Oh my god! This is literally a guy <laughs> dragging metal over the floor, almost like a how-to ruin a uh, audio <laughs> recording. But I did learn from those experiences. I could never. Uh, I would like to avoid being on a staff or something like that because I, you know, John Regie. No, he's a very really. He's a great stand-up, but he's also an amazing writer and director. I asked him the other day because he saw. I said, "So I hate writing." He goes, "Every." Writer hates writing. <laughs> yeah, and some. It, it, it's, <laughs> That's an, a it's an overstatement. But there he goes. Anybody who tells you they don't is a liar. <laughs> they love it. You know? Do you know? I, almost every guide to writing I've ever seen has included some sort of sentiment where, where the writer has gone. You just got to write. You just got to do it. I know you don't. And it's almost like like they're so proud of it. That makes me think probably they do hate writing because they're so proud of putting themselves through it that they have to threaten you with it. Like in the way, <laughs> do you know what I mean? In the, in the way that comics like to say to young comics, oh, it's going to be hard out there. You're going to have yes. to drive a lot. You're going to have to travel a lot. It's going to be, it's going to be so lonely. Do you know what I mean? We take pleasure in it because we hated doing it and now someone else has to. Yeah, and the, I, I really find that the, the school of really trying to discourage people from doing things is not way, it's bad. As a... Having experienced that, like my wife is a photographer, she went to an art center. Okay. It's like a place in Pasadena, a famous place. And she said, when you, they got there, they go, now if you think you're going to get out of here and you're going to do uh, art, for, you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. one out of a million people. So that when people, when that kind of one out of a million people makes it yeah. thing, that I can't stand that. Because there's nothing to be gained by telling someone who's young who wants to do something, the odds are against you. That's the worst thing to tell them. Yes. Unless they now, if they know six months later, I don't have a sense of humor. What was I thinking? That's another reason to do it. Sure, sure. <laughs> I think. Well, it is, it is a similar thing. I think um, people. I remember an actor called Richard Griffiths came to her. He's, did you ever see Withnell and I? Did you see that? Oh, movie? it's British so funny movie? you say that. I've seen like half of it. And I, it's he amazing. played Uncle Monty. He's the okay, huge. Yeah. yeah. So he died a few years ago. Um, but he came to my college when I was maybe seventeen or eighteen, and he said, "Everyone, all the, the young actors come up to me and say, should I be an actor?' And I always say the same thing. I always say, "No, you shouldn't, because if I manage to uh, put them off by telling them they shouldn't do it, then they were never going to be an actor in the first place." Right. You know I mean? Right. And, but that's almost, hear, yeah, that's yeah, almost yeah. the same thing, isn't it? If you go, what you're doing is you're relishing the fact it's incredibly hard and you've done it, and you're yes. sort of showing off to other people <laughs> that, oh yes, no one can do this. I did. No, you can't. I think it's a bet. It's like was that Robert McKee guy who does the screenwriting oh the story thing. yes yeah. I hate that it, it's almost invariably their horrible anger or hostility about their own lives that they're so I mean I, I guess you could argue that a certain amount of it's good but I don't know if it's good at all to go you don't never and because I know what the other thing is that people come up and say how do I it happened last night someone said to me it's exactly what they said it was so funny they said I've been doing open mics for three months where does this end? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the perfect example of the person where you go, 
if you don't learn yes. that you just have to do it. So you, we always see those people who make a career out of saying that I'd like to do it one day. Yes. Yeah, but even if yes. you want to do it one day, you still have that fear of initially doing it. Yes. That's why I try not to discourage. We started off, we started this kind of this tangent by talking about how all writers hate writing. Right. It's something to be, it's something to put oneself through rather than something to be enjoyed. Yes. And I, th- I wonder if that's, is that the same with comedy? Do you always love going on stage? Or I do always you... love, yeah. That's the thing. I wish I could have taken a picture of that look. No, because for the it's... benefit of the listener, Andy just he just pulls up right like a meerkat. No, because I don't want to misrepresent. I, there are times I hate going on. You know, there are times like I'm just miserable uh, about going on stage or whatever. But when I look over the whole course of things, I really can sincerely say I love stand-up comedy. It's not like a thing to say. And so to me, it's like a salvation. <laughs> have a grasp of rhythm I think that it, it, what's lovely is you try to make it look like you're failing and flailing around right. whilst actually playing us like a fiddle do you think that's fair? Uh, I don't think the, the playing you like a fiddle but it's like I don't you, I think that's something I appreciate you saying that but that's not how I'm feeling I, I never feel like I'm like uh, we'll be able to I never ever go wait I'm going to these people, I got them in the palm of my hands. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's not like that. But I do, what I definitely am doing is, when it's not a negative thing of me just over-exaggerating how badly I'm doing, there is a constant commentary about what I'm doing. Yes. And that, to me, is the part of me that's like I got from Letterman. Like, whatever it is, I don't, I can't go to, the part of the joke is the joke of me doing the joke. That is exactly yeah. what I wanted to hear. Yeah, always, I, yeah almost absolutely. always, almost always. Like, yeah, I do a joke where I go, um, uh, uh, where I say, uh, because of the anti, I say, there's a lot of anti-Islamic sentiment in the world. As a Jewish person, I want to say, thanks for the breather, right? <laughs> and I go, <laughs> yeah. I go, but all my Islamic projects are on hold, so my jihad energy drink not gonna fly. <laughs> and I start to do a series of my Ramadan noodles. And what I say is, this is how I have to entertain myself while I'm doing a joke I've done before. Ah, So that's 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 the rhythm of it. Okay, so what you change the rhythm, or you change the like the pitch, or the you're doing a thing within the joke to make you laugh to keep yourself engaged in the. And also because it may be true that Ramadan noodles is a hacky. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) such a hacky. Kind of a joke to me in a way, yeah, even yeah. though. Well, though the, the other thing I end with was an Islamic version of the Three Stooges with Mohammed, Larry, and a second Mohammed. Yeah, yeah. I stand by the writing right there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the, the Ramadan noodles is like almost I'm making fun of that kind of a joke in a way. Yes. <laughs> um, if you do, you read reviews ever? Have you ever read reviews? Oh, do you yeah. engage oh, with it? Uh, uh, I, I, I try. That's another one of my addictions: is the Twitter addiction. Where and it's like. What has this robot said about me? I don't read, like my wife, I tell her do not read these comments on YouTube. I don't read anything like that. Yeah, okay. Because I, I'm not saying I never do, but in general. But anybody who's reviewing or anybody who has an opinion or anybody, you know, I do. I check, I check it and out. And do you ever find yourself agreeing with a review? Or do, is it just like if it, if it agrees with your view of yourself on that night, you go, okay, fine. And if it disagrees with you? How do you yeah. feel about them? Do you think, oh, that's that person's opinion, that's valid? Or does it, do you get angry with them? 
I think that even though my feelings would get hurt, if someone did have something valid about the show, I would be uh, probably admit to it. But so much of reviewing is like I got very a big like battle with the AV Club. You know the AV Club. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they would be reviewing these podcasts. So like one of my heroes is a. Uh, James Adomian, I think he's the funniest guy in the world. I don't know if you know him. Uh, James. James Adomian. Adomian. He does no, impressions. Never, never, never. He's just the greatest. This is so exciting being here because I feel like I'm going over the list of 100 names of people I've never encountered before. Oh, yeah. He's like does imp- uh, uh, imp- incredible. He does impressions of me, Mark Marin. Okay. Uh, and, but like to a level that's – and then just does like Jesse Ventura and all of these things. And he's so brilliant. So they were they have this thing we're called Podmas where they review podcasts. Okay. And this guy was like saying – He's criticizing, oh, and James Adomi did another character that we don't like or some, some kind of offhand thing where – and my point with why I got so mad was like these podcasts and these things you go on, they're not – you're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be working on new material. Yes. So when you slam a comic – first of all, I didn't agree with anything the person said, but just the idea that you're going to slam people for taking chances, that's not a valid criticism. Yes. Absolutely. And that, that kind of stuff I can't I say. think that's the thing that most infuriates comics is the idea that, like, it's only the risk of, the perpetual risk of failure that keeps it alive and lets you discover new things. Yeah. And for someone to come along and go, well, that failed. <laughs> oh, sorry, would you rather no one took any risks? Yeah. And that's, and they, and they, but those are the same people who are looking for something unique. I, you know, I'm looking for something unique out here in comedy. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, uh, well, you're not going to get unique unless you're willing to, and that's just a matter of they don't – a lot of the people, don't, when they're writing as a critic just about bad, good, I hated it, I didn't like it, you know, they missed some things. So I can't think of anything where someone really ripped me apart that I liked. <laughs> and if you had to review yourself, if you had to review your – like a 20-minute set somewhere, what would be – what, what would you? How would you describe Andy Kendler? Well, I think in a certain way, and I, I'm, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I do think it is almost impossible to get a view of yourself, an accurate view of yourself, uh, because you're the person doing it. But I, I want your biased view of yourself. <laughs> My biased view of myself is oh, but like, I, what, like what things do do you see? Like if you were to watch yourself back, you'd go, I just I just can't ever seem to X Y Z. I never sort of can thing. seem to let go of how the audience is doing. Yes. So I but think, you, but that's most of your act, isn't it? Or it right. permeates your act. It permeates. So I'm, I just feel like it's the strength. And sometimes, if I was to see it, I could see myself in the audience getting annoyed. Okay. You know. Okay. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you made forty-five comments. So it's just a matter of degree. I see. But I could see myself though. In the, what I would normally see for myself that I would criticize is almost always I was not feeling good that night. I did not feel a connection to the crowd. Mm -hmm. And because there was no connection to the crowd, and I could blame myself for that. Sometimes I blame myself. Sometimes it's just not meant to be. I could see that's not a good show because I'm not even having fun at it being a bad show. But I don't know that I would ever critique my operating philosophy. You know, because I'm the I'm the best. <laughs> I'm the king, baby. <laughs> I think I have the right approach to how I do the comedy. I just think my criticism of myself would be degree sometimes, or how angry I am sometimes. I don't know. Are you happy? Uh, I am. I am very. I'm very blessed with not having depression, so I never get what. 
so many people in the world get like you know where blackness and you can't do anything about it but I do have that nagging thing that we were talking about of someone's going to get me or I will be rejected on some fundamental level and that is something that causes a lot of pain and it almost always gets relieved by me just remembering it I get off my own back if I can remember them on my own back, you know? That's really good advice. Yeah, just a little reminder. I've often thought sometimes, I suffer a lot from anxiety, just a little sign on the back of the door. Or if you could get, if you could employ someone to just move the sign every day so that you didn't get used to it. So that you go, it's fine. Oh, oh, oh it's actually fine, isn't it? I, I think you're right. And I think what you're saying is, when you say you suffer from anxiety, I think, well, I think it's... A, because I had, I don't know if you've had that. I used to have panic attacks, oh, yeah. but they went away. I would one or two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so sometimes it is. It is. Uh, there is absolutely a chemical component. So it's not the same for everybody. But that general anxiety, I think, is the same in, in everybody, or some similar form of it with everybody. You know, it gets like I've. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe that's not true. Your th- no, go could on. be. Well, just like you feel something is going to terrible is going to happen is that how you feel when you're anxious I, I feel when i get right down to the bottom of it i i feel like it's that i am going to be left alone somehow that's the same my, thing that's my thing it's absolutely. the same thing, my and I, thing and I, and I, that's not a conscious thought i'm just edgy and if you would i'd need to stop myself and go why are you edgy what what would what's the worst thing that can happen now okay and if that happened what would that mean yes and if that were true what would that mean it always boils down to i'd be alone yes and the reason why uh, I'm sure sometimes even that can't, and when that can't help, then you just have to breathe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that means it's getting uh, in there. So, because sometimes you go, I know this is why, and you still can't stop it. But there's letters I have as a f- seven year. I used to go to summer camp when I was like seven. It's just like letters. Don't forget to pick me up at the station. Don't forget to pick me up at the station. And there's a lot of levels to that. My parents were not there in a way sometimes like for their own emotional or psychological things and so I sensed that as a kid and then you start to feel like if you're not totally always engaging them and making sure everything's okay yes you could die you know yes and so if I'm four years old thinking they're not going to pick me up at the bus stop that's a fundamental thing and that's kind of it's not that it has to last your whole life I think it lasts your whole life, and the degree, the spiritual thing is how you deal with that. But it seems like it's the same thing with, but maybe not for every person, but it seems like it's a similar sure. type of thing. It's, it's, I think the moments that are most frustrating to me are when I feel like I've been on an upward swing for a couple of weeks. Yes. And I feel like, hey, I've nailed this. God, I can't, I can't believe I ever used to get depressed or anxious. And then a couple of days after that, something tiny will happen again and it'll set it off. And you go, for Christ's sake, I'm back here again. Yeah. And did you see Dana Gould's keynote address? No, I didn't. No, I've, yeah. uh, but I, the, I'm going to read it online. But the whole thing that he was saying was like how he agonized over these career things. You know, and so, and that telling people you're doing, you know, instead of thinking about what, what will you make it, you realize you're doing it right now. And yes. so I think what happens in those two-week things, unconsciously, we still are buying into 
things are going well, and then I'm going to be named the king of England. And then, you know what I mean? It's like, it, even though you intellectually, oh, no, that's not what I'm doing it for. There's still a little bit that you buy into the upward sweep of things. Yes. I'm actually, yeah, I'm happy not because I'm calm and peaceful, but I'm happy because I'm believing that it's all working out. And it is working and, out. But that on inevitably that level. means you're going to crash because you won't always feel like <laughs> that's that. That's exactly that's right. That's very wise. That's very wise. Hey, well, I think the difference between healthy people and people who aren't. Sometimes it's not knowing what's going on. Like if you really don't know and you say, I got to get to the, I got to, like what Danny Gould said uh, in show business, you'll, use, you'll pull the, a guy's eye out and use his socket as a toehold to get something, <laughs> to get something off a high shelf. <laughs> so if you're not aware of that, that's when it gets terrible, you know. Uh, can be. I don't know. I'm no psychoanalyst. I've got two, I've got two more questions. Sure. Uh, the first is something you must have uh, heard variations on before. But, I'm, I'm um, a Jew. What, <laughs> are, you, are you actually a Jew? It is true. Um, uh, what advice would you give to newer comics listening to this? Is that, and it's very difficult because obviously we don't like to give advice necessarily. Right. Do you know? That's, uh, yeah. yeah. You don't want to steer someone into being something that... Like just do jokes about cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay away from politics. Yeah. Like, all the things that are terrible. I would think, and this is true about me in my 20s, I wish I had been, I know it sounds like new agey, but I wish I had been nicer to myself all through my whole life. Like when I was trying to be a you know, musician, I look back at those things and go, yeah, but you didn't go into showcase clubs. You did top 40. You were an idiot, mm-hmm. which is objectively you could say I wasn't going to get where I was if I didn't get into like uh, uh showcase clubs mm-hmm. but that's not allowing that you were in your 20s and you felt terrible you know yes, so yes so not feeling not allowing to realize that everyone goes through that and that's a natural thing and to try to be nicer to yourself and also to realize which is basic i think if you're if your heart's in the right place and you've been doing it for a long time you have to just do it there's no other shortcut to doing it than doing it and when, and the process of learning the technique, which is not like a thing you study, it's just over and over and over again, you'll work out all of those problems. So any problem, anything when you're new where you go, what's my persona, that you don't want to ask that question. You know, where am I, who's, who is, who are me, what are, who am I going to be on stage? Forget it. All those things will work themselves out and you can't force them or draw them up ahead of time. At least I can't. That's really good advice. Oh, That's really good advice. It is because I think absolutely. I, I know I have spent, and I'm sure a lot of my contemporaries have spent a lot of time going, "Who am I? What is it?" And particularly me. I mean, the whole reason we're doing this is obviously stupid, over analytical approach to everything. But that, like, to not analyze and to not try and predict what it is, and to not try and contrive what it is. Right. To actually just be you. It's the hardest thing. It's this ridiculous. That's yeah. the zen of comedy, isn't it? It's just go on stage and be as you as you are when you're. Just being funny with your friends. Well, but I, I would say that, you know, uh, uh, not to blow smoke up your... This is a line from Dr. Katz that actually David Mamet, when he said, like, are you just blowing smoke up my ass? And I think David Mamet says, what do you mean just? <laughs> but I don't think you're over-analytical. I think that your, your, your desire to find out what's going on yeah. is, a re, is, a good, is for the right reasons. You know? oh, it's not you. like okay. you want to, at the end of the day, say... Yeah, I think we've worked it out today. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Comedy's <laughs> the over. following <laughs> equations. <laughs> and next week we'll learn also the right clothes. Well, I worry. I worry I'm going to be like one of these kind of CERN 
kind of, uh, you know, like the, <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. super collider guys who actually, we want to understand the universe. Oh, we've destroyed everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, we, it turned out we did work out the formula for comedy and now no one can do it anymore because well, everyone knows it. Well, or it would be like the James Lipton thing. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the guy does the acting. Yes. Where it's like at some point it's like, oh, so pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're not any of those things. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the final question then is um, what would you have on your comedy gravestone? Oh, um, uh, my comedy gravestone would be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I keep. Uh, I'll go with <laughs> I want that David Letterman once said uh when Avery says a mean joke and it does he and people get uncomfortable he goes oh I'm sorry I thought this was a roast <laughs> that's, what, that's all I have on I'm sorry this was a roast thanks Andy thank you so much so that was Andy. Thank you so much to Andy for coming on. Thanks for Bruce at Omnipop, who looks after him, uh, and some other brilliant comics as well, who I'm hoping to uh, to get on the podcast. I know he looks after uh, uh, Jimmy Pardo. He looks after Doug Benson. I mean, brilliant podcasters in their own right. And the wonderful Maria Bamford, who if you don't know about Maria, you should absolutely start YouTubing the hell out of her. She is a complete force of nature when it comes to ideas of, of, of expression of a completely different comic vocabulary to what you'll be used to. She's been to the UK a few times in the past. I've never seen her live, but her last couple of albums have absolutely knocked my socks off. So have a look for them. Uh, and uh, you can buy Andy's, I think Andy's special that he, he recorded maybe 10 years ago. Uh, it's called I Wish I Was Bitter. Um, I've got a copy of it and it's absolutely fantastic. So have a look for that as well. And remember nathansmart.com forward slash akhh.pd uh, you can have a look at the Hacks Handbook. It's very, very funny reading indeed. Thank you to Nathan for his work, uh, Nathan Wood uh, for his work co-producing this show. Thanks to Olivia Phipps for her work, James Hingley for the new website, which you must check out at www.comedianscomedian.com. Regular service will be resumed next week. We've got a couple more pre-records that I've got to, to put out to you. Very, very good shows with Charlie Baker and Justin Morehouse that I'm really keen for you to hear before you go up to Edinburgh uh, or on the way. Why not listen to them on the way up to Edinburgh or just when you arrive so that you can make an informed decision to definitely go and see the hell out of their shows. Lots more fun stuff to come. My own show is called An Hour. That's on at Cannon's Gate at 4.55 every day. Uh, that's for free on PBH's Free Fringe. So come along to that. I'll see you there. Thanks a lot. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.